Hey folks, Rish from the future here. I originally recorded this episode at the end of March and had it all ready to go in April. And as of this moment of this recording, it is November. The problem was, I, this, is all, this episode is all about the second Laura and the Witch book being published. And it took that long for Audible to accept it, publish it, make it available. Part of that was my fault because they had problems with the, the finished audio. E even so, though, April to November. And it's not ironic, but it's serendipitous that today I got an email from Audible that said, and it starts out, Dear Rish Outfield, we're writing to thank you for your patience and apologize for some truly unacceptable wait times as we review projects and respond to your questions. Uh, they go on to say that the, they've recently hired a bunch of new people and implemented new changes in the upload process, uh, which didn't exist when I uploaded it in April and that to show our appreciation for your continued support for the month of December 2020, they will pay us, the writers, an additional 5% royalty on the sales of our audiobooks through Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. I got to admit, that's kind of a balm. I mean, it's not going to make that big of a difference unless you go out and buy the audiobook in December. But it's still, it's nice to hear an apology because, and, and they're phrasing truly unacceptable wait times that it feels good to know that they are aware of the problem and that it's bad. And so some of this episode that you're about to hear is a little bit out of date. I've, I've actually gone and written a third book in the Laura and the Witch series. As of right now, it doesn't have a title, but what did, what was it I was kicking around? Uh, well, that, that will be one of my uh, goals. In fact, it's one of my goals for this month is to come up with a title for it. But if you liked Like a Good Neighbor and the sequel sounds good to you, it is something I worked hard on, I am proud of, and Heck, I did a whole episode about it. So, um... Dr. Jones, what you look at? It's another lost episode, Shorty. Enjoy. Raven hair and ruby lips Sparks fly from her fingertips And echoed voices in the night She's a restless spirit on an endless flight. Ooh, ooh, witchy woman, see how high she flies. Ooh, ooh witchy woman, she's got the moon in her eye. Hello, fine folks. This is Rish Outfield. 
And as you know, everybody loves chalupas. This is one of those episodes where uh, I'm going to be plugging something. And I, I, I don't know how useful these episodes are, but I'll make sure to throw in something at the end to make it worth your while. There's a little song Fake Sean and I have cooked up together. I've been looking for an excuse to put it out there. I don't know why I'm talking that way. I'm sorry. You've actually caught me in a somewhat good mood. And I'm easy like Sunday morning, guys. Well, let's, let's, let's re- rephrase. I'm, I'm not particularly fond of myself. There are only a couple of arenas in which I feel that I excel. There's one arena where I feel like I'm top of the heap. That nobody can outdo me. And, and I know what you're thinking. It's not writing, it's certainly not podcasting, it's not even Sean Connery impression. I think I came in third on that, but the neat thing is actual Sean Connery came in fifth. It's feeling sorry for myself. I am the best at that. I'm a master. You know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to become proficient at something. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I've left 10,000 hours behind years and years ago, decades ago, maybe. But, you know, into every life, a little rain must fall. And then for a Seattle type environment, every once in a while, the sun comes out. And today I'm kind of in an okay mood. I mean, yeah, if I think about it, if I focus, I can feel sorry for myself. It's a skill that never entirely goes away. But uh, let's not focus on that right now. Let's just see what it would be like if Rish Outfields were happy. Okay, I got an imagination, but it's not that vivid. What I'm going to do today is talk to you about the second Lara and the Witch story, or novella, or novelette. Let's say book. I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing this. I'm podcasting today in early 2020 the plague year 2020 and because it's a plague year you're not supposed to socialize there's not that many opportunities to go out and look in my life there weren't that many opportunities to go out anyway but still I liked to go for a drive I liked to visit things and we're right at the tail end of that of when I'm free to do that stuff and so um There will be more of a focus on writing and podcasting, I imagine, in the coming weeks. Who who knows, though, what the coming weeks will actually bring, except that I will put out there this book. And I don't know how familiar you are with the first one. It was called Like a Good Neighbor. And I believe I wrote it in 2013. There are several different versions of Like a Good Neighbor because I think I put one out there. Oh, oh, it was one of those things that I wrote in notebooks. And I couldn't find one of the notebooks when I was finally compiling it. And I ended up just sort of leaving a section out of the story because I had forgotten that it was ever part of the story. And then later, after I had already put it out 
I found that notebook and I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I remember this part. Did I not include this part? And I hadn't. So I sat down and I recorded that bit and I uh, incorporated it into the story. And I'm even thinking of doing a, a third version, I guess fourth version if you count the podcasted version, where I put the first story and the second story together in a sort of collection. But this, yeah, this, this episode is about the second story, the second book in that series, and it is called You're in Good Hands. And feel free to groan if you like. That's fine. Remember, I'm in a good mood today. I did get complaints about the first story being called Like a Good Neighbor. I, I was told that, you know, you should call it Lara and the Witch because that's what the uh, work in progress was called. It was one of those things that I worked on for a good long time and I never finished. Uh, and then when I finally finished it, I didn't have a title for it. But, oh my gosh, I love the title Like a Good Neighbor. I love it. No matter how much you hate it, I love it as much as you hate it if you absolutely hate it. Then, before I had even finished writing the sequel, I realized what I had to call it, and it was, you're in good hands. And oh my gosh, guys, if I liked the title, Like a Good Neighbor, I love the title, You're in Good Hands. I am feeling giddy just saying the title. Oh, wow. That, that's hubris for you, I guess. But I don't know. I've, I've explained millions of times. Okay, that's an exaggeration. 138,206 times that I feel very powerless in real life, that nothing ever goes my way. Uh, but when I write, suddenly I have some kind of power. I have some kind of authority or I can work my will. And, oh, that feels good. And yeah, titling these two books, what I titled them, makes me feel powerful. Makes me feel like Skeletor when he finally got the power sword or whatever Skeletor was after. I, that was a really bad cartoon, guys. Even I knew that in 1983. But if you're Chris or if you're Gino, maybe you don't understand that Like a Good Neighbor is the slogan to the State Farm American Insurance Company. And You're in Good Hands is the slogan to the Allstate American Insurance Company. <laughs> and yet I feel like those two phrases, while they may be nonsense to you, both sum up their respective stories. <sighs> okay, so what was I saying a moment ago? Sorry, I lose track of time. I must have, I must black out from time to time. That's what happens when you podcast too much. Moderation, guys. Oh, okay. So uh, basically, Like a Good Neighbor is the story of Laura Deming, who I thought she was 10, but turns out she's 11 years old. She discovers that her neighbor, Old Widow Holcomb, is a witch. And Old Widow Hol Holcomb has this charm necklace that she wears uh, that makes it so that when she talks to people, they believe her. 
whatever lie she tells, they believe. And uh, Lara steals this necklace and she starts to wear it. And using the ability of this, this necklace, the power of this necklace, she uh, coerces the witch into teaching her magic spells. And it's all relatively innocent. Um, Laura is a sweet girl. She's not a bad person. But Old Widow Holcomb is. And that was part of the fun. I don't, I don't know if it was part of the fun of writing the first story, but it's certainly been part of the fun of writing follow-ups. You've Got a Friend is... It's not called You've Got a Friend. Like a Good Neighbor, I think I said, was 2013, and it uh, was never meant to have a sequel. It ends with Old Widow Holcomb receiving a package, and it is another of these necklaces, like she, like Lara stole from her. And the implication of the ending is, okay, now they're going to be on even ground, and we're going to see how well Lara does without her ability. I don't know how people interpreted the ending. I've never really asked people. I do remember I sent it to Gino and asked what he thought of the story. Uh, and I remember Abigail Hilton really liking the story. And something that she said to me was, how did the witch get the second necklace? Because in the story, the witch reveals to Lara that she got her necklace, the pendant. It, it was extremely valuable. So valuable that she had to trade her child for it. And Lara says, you know, who did you trade it to? And Holcomb says, well, to his father, of course. Uh, and it was just a throwaway line. It, I never intended anything by it, but Abigail said, well, then it only stands to reason that she traded another child for this second pendant, right? And, and, you know, Abigail may remember our conversation differently. I remember it this way because it instigated a lot of thought on my part of just like, wow, why hadn't I thought of that? Because I just had this idea that Holcomb went to eBay and there's one of the, there's an Espindola pendant right there. I, I think I, that I had even written it that way before, but I felt like the eBay thing was too dumb. So I, I, you know, I didn't explain where she got it. But when Abigail said, you know, she traded a child's life for the first pendant, uh, it made no sense that the second pendant would just be something you could buy for $1,000 on eBay, you know? The wheels started turning in my head, and I, I came up with another story of, well, what happens when what happens when that debt comes due? And that's what You're in Good Hands is about. Uh, it starts out with the backstory of that, of, of Holcomb speaking to her ex, so to speak, and saying, you know, I've got a problem. I need another one of these pendants. Then it picks up where the last story left off, and Lara continues to go to her for instruction, not realizing that the spell is broken. That when she tells Holcomb to do something, 
Holcomb no longer has to do it. And I don't know. Those are like the two warring plots of the story. And then, like I said a minute ago, Lara is not an evil person, but I establish early, early on that she is aware that Holcomb is evil. And you start to wonder, or she starts to wonder, if maybe I become evil by associating with someone who is evil. It's only natural, I think, to think that, to wonder that, to ask yourself that question. And I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's something that's very fun to write. I, I think Holcomb's evil lessons as the story goes on, we see, you know, that she has genuine affection for Lara. Yes, she is a bad person, used to doing whatever she wants and getting away with it. And that, to me, is a, a character that, that I haven't really written that much. And then what happens when somebody worse than her comes to town? And the first story was about 14,000 words. I don't know if that's a novelette or a novella. Uh, this one is about double that. It's, uh, I think, 30-something thousand, 31,000 words. And it's available over there on Amazon right now. Usually I don't release these episodes until the audiobook is available because that's what I want people to buy. That's where the real work goes. I had so much problem with The Calling Reunion that... I'm hesitant to wait until the audiobook is out there before I release one of these things. But here, let me share with you an excerpt. I always do that, right? An excerpt from You're in Good Hands. And then I'll meet you on the other side and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more, okay? Holcomb frowned to beat the band. Do you want to summon something or don't you? The little girl frowned back. I do. Yes. Maybe we'll conjure a revolting idolin instead of a harmless sprite, eh? See how smug you are then, threatened the witch. Lara wilted. She spoke as she often did when she intended her words to be obeyed, an order to be carried out. You are not angry with me. You are proud of my cleverness. Holcomb nodded, doing her best to remove the displeasure from her face and voice. She repeated the words the spellcaster was to invoke, mostly Latin words, but with a few German ones thrown in there, seemingly at random. The girl nodded, crossed out something she had written, then slowly put a revision in her notebook. Lara, the witch asked, leaving no question about how she felt about being kept waiting. Okay, okay, got it. Lara smirked as she got an idea. You love to wait. There's nothing you love more. It's like chocolate to you. Uh-huh, Holcomb murmured. She no longer had to obey the girl's every whim, utterly believing everything that came out of her mouth. But Lara Deming didn't know that, and it was best to continue the charade until it was absolutely necessary to reveal the truth that she had procured her own magical pendant, one that negated the effects of the one the girl always wore on her visits. 
she put on her instructor voice. Now, thumbs and forefingers together, little fingers extended. Make a circle in the air, slow, precise, half with your right hand, half with your left. The girl began to draw in the air with her fingers, only a bit sloppier than Holcomb would have done so herself. Do it slowly, she reminded, and begin your incantation. The girl did so. She mispronounced a couple of the words, but very few people spoke Latin any more to correct her. Keep making the circle. Steady movements. I am, the girl insisted. Now you've interrupted the spell. Do you want to create a portal? The vacuum kind that draws you into places so dark your eyes would bleed? No, Laura said petulantly. But you love it when your eyes bleed. It's your favorite thing. Yes, like chocolate, said the witch in a deadpan voice. Sometimes, when she couldn't help herself, she said things like this, and the girl would study her with those curious little green eyes of hers. In those moments, most of Holcomb's antagonism toward the child would go away. Most of it. All right, Lara, begin the incantation again. Start the circle from the bottom, connect it at the top, then back again, steady and slow. The girl did so, starting to chant again on her second go-round. This time she concentrated, kept the movements as they should have been, and got through it. The air began to grow orange where Lara drew the circle, as if heating up. The portals glowed different colors, depending on where they connected to. Orange, yellow, pink, violet, azure. Those tended to be benign summonings. The air gasped as the doorway opened, and a small creature, no more than six inches tall, emerged before their eyes. Lara gasped, too, but in a delighted way. A pixie had appeared before them. It stood there on the kitchen counter, standing on stick-thin legs, its green, insectile wings still on its back. Its little face wasn't quite right, too liquid to be cute. Hello there, the girl said. The pixie looked at her with huge, alien eyes. It was obviously intelligent, but reminded Lara of a deer or a dolphin, not a human being. Its hands were at its sides, and there was something claw-like about them, something unpredictably wild rather than cute and friendly. I'm Lara, she said to the pixie. It stared back its eyes narrowing, then widening again. If it comprehended her words, it wasn't letting on. "'Do you speak English?' she asked it, over-enunciating the words. It looked up at her appraisingly, still silent. She tried another tack. "'To, um, hablo, hablar to español?' "'Gods, don't hurt yourself,' Holcomb muttered, sounding less than patient. "'It understands you just fine. They can be taxingly aloof.' Lara opened her mouth to say something else to it, but it regarded the old woman instead. Its body language changed, 
became more guarded, more threatened. Katif, it said, in a voice almost comically low for its size. You are known to us. Hi, Lara said again. Am I known to you? But the creature did not look away from Holcomb. It rotated its head once, twice. Yon comes the slumber man, it intoned. Next new moon, all should tremble. What does that mean? What's a slumber man? The pixie looked away from Holcomb and at the child. It grinned, piranha-like, deforming its face, the shape of its head. Comes for thee, comes for thee. And the creature began to dance obscenely, its hips gyrating. It was definitely a male. Due to her age and upbringing, Lara looked away from the swaying member, and at her teacher instead. Holcomb's face was pale, her eyes unblinking. She looked to be startled. No, more than that. She looked to be terrified. Lara had never seen her show even the slightest bit of fear. Anger, impatience, cruel amusement. But never fear. It was an upsetting sight. Get rid of it, Holcomb whispered beside her. When Lara looked at her again, the fear was gone, replaced by a face half filled with disgust. Or kill it if you like. The pixie stopped dancing. Okay, so there you go. Uh, that's just a part of the story. I mean, you've heard me do these before. Like a Good Neighbor is still out there. It's still available if you haven't read that or listened to that, and if you want to. It was on this show as well. So uh, if you haven't listened to that, why wouldn't you? But uh, yeah, if you've got interest in the sequel, it's out there. You're in good hands. And um, I guess I talked enough, didn't I, about it? Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll say just a tiny bit more. This is this this story, this this sequel, is not the first follow-up that I have done, and not the first follow-up by far that I've done on this show with Lara and Old Widow Holcomb. The first time was Remember the Future, which is a short story that I ran on here, 2016, I think. I just loved the idea of the witch from Like a Good Neighbor showing up in a story that was not really about her. Then I did it again. When they shut down the movie theater, I wrote a story, and Lara was in that, Lara Deming, but it was a teenage version of Lara Deming. Uh, and yeah, Lara is referred to in Remember the Future as a high school student. And then not long after that, I wrote a story and I want to say it was called, like, Encounter at, at a Harvest Festival. And that one has Holcomb in it, and it takes place almost exactly the same time as 
the Fruish story, the, the movie theater story, and none of those are like official sequels to Like a Good Neighbor because they are about someone else. Uh, this is the official sequel, and it ends fairly definitively. If I chose not to write any more follow-ups, I would be fine with just these two stories being Laura and the Witch, you know, as the name of the series. Uh, however, I, I don't know. There, 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 there is the possibility that I will do more. And I've already talked about it on this show about ideas that I had of Holcomb and Laura competing for the same boy or Holcomb becoming jealous of Laura's affections for some boy in high school and so Holcomb decides to screw that up because like I said she's a bad person and and that is just interesting to think about interesting to write about but yeah like I said if I don't write any more follow-ups. And at this point, I don't have any plans to write a third story. I guess we could come up with a good... Oh, it's a, a joke I think Big Anklevich made, was that I could call the third story, We Are Farmers, ba ba da ba 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 I don't know if that's funny or not. We'll see in the weeks or months ahead if I write more, if I don't. I don't know. Uh, that, but that is out there. If you'd like to support me, if you'd like to read that, if you'd like to listen to it, there will be links. And as always, if you don't have the money to support me, you can always support me with sending me a message or giving me a good review in iTunes or, you know, is it Apple Podcasts now? Stitcher. There are lots of places where you can say things, you say nice things. You can say nice things to me on Facebook. Uh, as of this recording, I don't have a Twitter of my own, but I have been considering getting one because I've been blogging every single day, going to Facebook every single day, posting on Instagram every week. And someone recently said, you know, well, that's a good thing for Twitter is if, you know, you have a Twitter follower, you can let them know anytime something that you write is available and maybe someone will buy it. And that's a good point. Maybe someone will buy it. As always, you can support me on Patreon by going to www.patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield. And you get exclusive content. You get episodes that nobody else gets. Uh, you get a Patreon address. That's the big thing. Every single month, which is kind of like a Rish Outcast. And then you get everything else early. So... If you got a couple of bucks that you want to, that you can spare, do that. I hope you are well. Now that I'm recording this, it is a scary time to be alive. A time where there are no easy answers and there the future is up in the air. And so if people have better things on their mind than podcasts and this is a very very low priority for them. I totally get that. But I know that there are some people that are just stuck. They're on lockdown or in quarantine and they just need entertainment or they need, maybe they need a connection with another person. And I feel like even though I don't hear you out there, I am not just talking to myself. 
there'd be a heck of a lot more profanity if I felt like I was just talking to myself. Human connection is a marvelous thing. I wish that I had it all the time. Of course, you know, now it's a time that you're not supposed to socialize. You're not supposed to go places where lots of strangers have congregated. And I guess I appreciate that a little bit more than I did once it's taken away. But we are a community. Uh, the fans of the Steve have always been very supportive of me and of Big Anklevich. Even today, I will hear people thank us for our content from all those years ago. And you're welcome. I'm trying to continue to put content out there. And it pleases me that there are folks that anticipate it, that there are folks that consider themselves friends. And uh, I guess that's it. This has been a very short episode. But uh, let's run those credits and see if maybe uh, we can add something here at the end. I've been Rish Outfield. You're in good hands. Well, I know you want to love her, but let me tell you, brother, she's been sleeping in the devil's bed. And there's some rumors going round that someone's underground and she can rock you in the nighttime till your skin turns red. Ooh, ooh witchy woman, see how high she flies. Ooh, ooh witchy woman. She's got the moon in her eye. All right. This show is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 No Derivatives license. That's nothing to cry about, really. But Rish really needs people to support him on Patreon. I mean, he's a pathetic barrel full of wet ramen noodles. And not the flavoured kind, either. The kind you have to put that brown dust on just for it to taste like anything. What's going on? Nothing. Anyway, support Rish on Patreon. You can donate a dollar an episode and up, or just contribute monthly to Outfield's daft schemes. In return, he presents exclusive content, as well as early access to the episodes. The logo by the talented and generous Gino Moretto. He was on a panel with that show's other alien guest stars, had a booth set aside with his name on eh, had a booth set aside with his name and photo on it. Brielle met her friends, Gloriosa and Cassidy. Cassidy. Brielle met her friends. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my gosh, that would be so great if I said Cassidy every single time her name came up because it's so gross. Brielle met her friends Gloriosa and Cassidy at the mall in Westwood. Brent sat still on his Brent still sat on his bed. Brent still sat Brent still sat on his bed. He was a pipsqueak and a giant nerd and a giant nerd to boot. Uh I think I already said nerd. Roly poly math genius. Nope. Only a true Oshimanu Lee can 
Only a true Oshimanu Lee can grasp the Yosuke stick. Only a true Oshimanu Lee can grab the can grasp the Yosuku Yosuke can grasp the Yosuke stick without harm. Only a true Oshimanu Lee can grasp the Yosuku stick. Can grasp the Yosuke stick without harm. Sorry, uh, this will come as no surprise to you, but it's frozen. How many people want to kick some ass? I do, I do. How many people stick a hold in it back? Well, I am too, so tell. Wow, the whole computer is frozen. I can't get it to do anything. It's become something of a tradition to do a Taylor Swift song because Rish Outfield is bloody obsessed with her. I wouldn't sound obsessed. I mean, that's a strong word. The music started. Yeah, but still, I think we should talk about this. Midnight. You come and pick me up, no headlights. Long drive. Could end in burning flames or paradise. Fade into view. Oh, it's been a while since I even heard from you. Heard from, from you. you. And I should just tell you to leave, cause I know exactly where it leads, but I watch us go round and round each time. You, you got that James Dean daydream look in, in your, your eye. eye. And I got that red lip classic thing that you like. And when we go crashing down, we come back every time. We never go out of style. We never go out of style. You've got that long hair, slick back, white t-shirt. And I got that good girl faith and a tight little skirt. And when we go crashing down, we come back every time. We never go out of style. We never go out of style. So it goes. He can't keep his wild eyes on the road. Mm. He takes me home. The lights are off. He's taking off his coat. <laughs> yes, I say I heard, oh, that you've been out and about with some other girl. Some other girl. He says, well, what you heard is true, but I can't stop thinking about you and I. I said I've been there a few times too, because you got that James Dean daydream look in your eye, and I got that red lip classic thing that you like and when we go crashing down we come back every time we never go out of style we never go out of style you've got that long hair slick back white t-shirt and i got that good gal faith and a tight little shirt and when we go crashing down we come back every time because we never go out of style, we never go out of style. He'll take me home. I redlined it there. Just take me home. <laughs> Just take me home.
out of style. You've got that change theme. Daydream look, look in your, your eye, eye and I got that red lip classic thing that you like everybody and when we go crashing down we come back every time we never go out of style we never go out of style